we're just honored to be in the house of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ one more time and thank God for your pastor and the great work that he is doing. Will y'all help me thank God for Pastor Darren tonight? What a man of God, what a gift he is to the body of Christ, my brother in Christ, and certainly love he and his family, and I consider him uh, one of my brothers and always a joy to work with him in ministry here and in other parts of the country and world and look forward to God uh, continuing to taking him from faith to faith and from glory to glory. Glad to have my wife and my oldest son and my youngest son uh, who are present with us on tonight and glad to have all of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ and my brothers and sisters in creation, to come to this place to give God the praise, the honor, and the glory. I'm going to ask if you would go with me uh, in a word of prayer as we talk to God. Father, thank you for this opportunity to come and to worship you in spirit and in truth. We honor you and glorify you. We praise you. Indeed, you are worthy to be praised. Now, Lord, you know we need to hear word from you. You know what each of us are going through, what we're dealing with. You know what our needs are. You know what our challenges are. You know what our character issues are. So speak now, dear God. We stand ready to receive your word. I pray tonight that somebody's going to be saved, that somebody is going to be changed, that somebody's going to be empowered, that somebody's going to be set free. I'm believing victory right now in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. There's a word from the Lord in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3 is where we're going on tonight, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 10. I'm going to encourage you in your own private time with God to read all of Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4 that make up the context of what I know God would have for me to share with you on this evening. Exodus chapter 3, and I'm going to begin with verse 10. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation on tonight, uh, and I will read a couple of these uh, to get us started. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Let me go back to verse 10 again. God speaking to Moses, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. Tonight, I want to challenge you and I as we continue to move in the vision of the pastor with character matters. And I want to challenge you to indicate that the word from God tonight is that God wants to use you. God wants to use you. And tonight, I want you to listen to me a little differently from the way the members of my congregation listen to me. The members of the Eastern Star Church, oftentimes when they listen to me, they listen to me for somebody else. So they'll, in their mind, think, I wish my cousin were here tonight. I wish my coworker had come. I wish my grown son or my grown daughter had been here. And they listen for other people. But tonight, I don't want you to listen for anybody else. I believe that God has in this place right now who he wants to hear this message. And the word to you is that God wants to use you. 
And I want to look at this against the backdrop of what God is doing in the life of Moses. Most of us who are frequent Bible readers, we're familiar with Moses. He's one of the greatest characters in the, in the Scripture and in Hebrew history. And, and Moses, when we meet him, he's a baby. Uh, he's born a Hebrew slave. Then he is raised an Egyptian prince. Uh, but then he has some challenges in his life, and we'll discuss that. But that's, that's, that's in his past. When we get to chapter 3, Moses is not some baby that's just been pulled out of the water. He's not some youngster being raised by Pharaoh's daughter. But now he's a grown man. He's married. He has children. He's employed. He's working for his father-in-law. He's watching over his father-in-law's sheep. And it is while he's at work and he's watching his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of a mountain in Midian. He's no longer in Egypt. He's in Midian. And, and in this desert, he sees a bush that is on fire. And, and that's not unusual for bushes in Midian to catch on fire. When, when those bushes become dry and brittle and the blazing sun begins to hit them, they catch on fire. So that's not unusual. The unusual thing about this was that the bush was burning, but it would not burn up and it would not burn out. And so while on his job, he decides that I'm going to turn aside and go and see what all of this is about. And as he approaches the bush, he hears the voice of God. And the voice of God says, take your shoes off the ground. You're standing on this holy ground. And now Moses is convinced there is a God somewhere. And now this God is conversing with him and communicating with him and convicting him. And not only convicting him, but that's when that conversion experience happened. That's when that change happened in Moses' life. And then God commissioned him. And that's where I want to focus tonight, on that commission that God gave to him to go back into Egypt and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. The Egyptians and King Pharaoh have been holding the Israelite people in bondage as a people for more than 400 years. And now God is sending Moses back. Tell Pharaoh, I said, let my people go. Tell the elders of Israel and the Israelites, here's what God says, that I've heard their cries, I've seen their afflictions, and I've come down to rescue them. He's sending Moses back in. Moses, whose name means to be drawn out because he was drawn out of the Nile River when his own life was saved. And, and Moses now, drawn out, is going back in to what he had drawn some where he's been drawn out of to draw somebody else out because that's how God challenges us. That's how God uses us to send us back into what we've been pulled out of to help pull somebody else out because all of us are ex-somethings. When you're saved, you save from something. Ex-drug addicts or ex-alcoholics or ex-liars or ex-cheaters, we're all ex-somethings. And now the commission to us is to go back in and to help pull somebody else out of the very thing that God has pulled us out. And who better to use to help pull somebody out of something than somebody that's been pulled out of something? Who better use to help somebody to get saved and know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus than somebody who's been saved and has a relationship with Jesus? Go back into Egypt. Tell Pharaoh, I said, let my people go. Tell Israel, I've heard and I've seen, and I'm going to pull them out. And that was the challenge and the commission for Moses. And God used him. 
Now, here's my thing with us. Most of us in here, I dare say most of us, I'm sure there's some seekers. I'm sure there's some who are still trying to come to grips with God and, and, and does God exist and God and evil and all. But most of us are convinced there's a God somewhere that are in here tonight. Most of us have had some kind of conversation with God that we believe God spoke to us. Maybe not from a burning bush, but from the Bible or a person or a situation, a circumstance, a dream, a vision, his Holy Spirit. Most of us believe, there's some that haven't heard his voice, but most of us believe we've heard the voice of God. We've been convinced. We've been changed. We've been converted. We, most of us have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. But the challenge tonight is, what about the commission that God has for you? God doesn't just convert us and then we come to church and watch other people serve, but he commissions us to go back in and help pull somebody else out of the very thing you used to struggle with. What are you doing with that commission that God has given to you? Or are you at the point that I just come and watch other people serve God? Well, my word to you tonight, as led by God's Holy Spirit, is God wants to use you. Now, when I make this kind of statement, I already know there are those who are saying, I understand God wants to use me, but there's too much that's wrong with me. I got too many issues. I got too many challenges. I, uh, I'm not what I ought to be. And, and we have this litany of excuses, even as Moses did. Moses had a parade of excuses as to God, you don't want me. You want somebody else. And that's how some of us are. But I'm trying to tell you, God wants to use you despite your excuses. And we're good with excuses. We're great with excuses. Uh, last year in the United States, a third of the workforce called in sick. And as a third of the workforce called in sick, 75% of the employers believed them when they called in. And 67% of those employers wanted a note from the doctor. 35% called them to check on them. And 14% of the employers drove by the employee's house to make sure they were where they're supposed to be because we're good with excuses. Listen to the excuses that employers got. These are, I'm not making these up. These are ex real excuses that employers got last year from people that didn't come to work. Um, I, I accidentally drank some antifreeze so I can't come in. There's a spider in my bathroom so I won't be at work today. I think I'm pregnant. I think I'm still drunk from last night. And a young man in his 20s called in and said, the reason I didn't come in is because my mother didn't wake me up again. And then, of course, all the dog excuses we have. My dog is sick. My dog has a cold. My dog gave me a cold. My dog ate my keys. My dog ate my Blackberry, and I didn't know what day it was. We are full of excuses, and even as God commissions us tonight, there are those with so many excuses, but your excuses do not justify not being used by God. It may rationalize it in your mind that I can't do it because of these issues. And it may rationalize it in your own head, but it doesn't justify it because even before God came to you, he already knew everything about you. And somebody has suggested that excuses are, 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 are monuments to nothing and bridges to nowhere. And we got to get away from excuses because God wants to use you. 
and your pastor is heavy on this character issue because character does matter. And whatever else was going on with Moses, he had some self-esteem issues and some, uh, he, he, he didn't, when he looked at himself, he didn't see himself the way God saw him. And, and, and he, he had some challenges that were going on. So God says, here's what I want you to do. Go back to Egypt. Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Tell the Israelites, I've seen and heard. I'm coming to rescue them. And he says, God, you don't want me. And you don't want me because there's too much that's wrong with me. That was his excuse. And I want you to understand that God wants to use you even though there's something wrong with you. Even when you're not good enough, God wants to use you. Moses is saying, well, God, I got some issues in my past, and, and, and God, I, I, I have some anger issues, and I let my anger get out of control, and I ended up killing a man. There was some racial things that were going down, and I took sides, and when he did, instead of having some conflict resolution, he allowed his anger to get out of control, and he ends up killing somebody. And, of course, when that happened, he lost that good government job and had that felony in his background and had to go to a new community to get something. Yeah, some of y'all read the Bible. He had to go to another community to start all over. But he's looking at this checkered past. He's looking at the perversion in his past and saying, God, you can't use me because there's too much that's wrong with me. And more than likely, I'm preaching to somebody like that tonight thinking about where you've been, what you've done, what you smoked, what you drank, who you slept with, the life you lived, and, and, and now here's a preacher saying God wants to use you. You're saying, but my past is too perverted. But not only did he think he wasn't good enough because of his past perversions, he thought he wasn't good enough because of his present position. He's saying, I, I used to be a big baller and a shot caller. I used to be educated, sophisticated, and elevated, but now here I was in the palace, but now I'm in the pasture watching over my father-in-law's sheep. I was rich, but now I'm in rags. I was in prosperity, but now I'm in poverty. And that's how some of us are. We feel like because some things have changed in my life because of the economy or my family or some situation, and now I'm not what I used to be, and God can't use me. God can use you even when you don't think you're good enough. God wants to use you. Here's what I want you to understand is that Evidently, being used by God, the criteria is not perfection. Because God says in, in verse 12, he says, I will be with you. So in, in order to be used by God, I don't have to be perfect. I have to have his presence. It is the presence of God in our life through Jesus Christ, through the power of his Holy Spirit that puts us in a position to be used by him despite what we've done in the past. It's the presence of God. He says, I'll be with you. And Everybody God has ever used at any time, everybody God has ever used except Jesus, something was wrong with him. The only one that was good enough was Jesus. So everybody else God used, they weren't good enough, but God still used them anyway. Abraham was a liar. He lied and said his wife was his sister. Jacob is the first recorded thug in all the scriptures. He lied with his mother to his father and on his brother. He had all kind of challenges and issues. Everybody God has ever used, something was wrong with them, but God used them anyway. We see Moses and his anger issues, and we see Moses and his self-esteem issues. We see Moses and his checkered past, but God used him anyway. And even when you talk about Samson, and you could talk about his strength and his power, but Samson was the biggest player of his day, but God still used him. Something was wrong with everybody except Jesus. 
even in the New Testament, when you come across Peter and he preached one sermon, 3,000 souls got saved. But, y'all, this is a man that denied Jesus three times in the same night, but God still used him. And your pastor stood up and told you how great the church is that God has given me stewardship over. But even though God has allowed me to pastor one of the greatest churches in the world, now I ain't going to tell y'all what I did, but God still uses me. God wants to use you even though you're not good enough. My youngest son, KJ, is here tonight, and KJ said uh, he goes to Hamilton Southeastern for high school, and he said he ran into one of his friends from elementary school. They went to Jewel Christian Academy uh, for elementary school, and he said they were talking about old times. I said, son, ain't no old times when you're 16. There's no such thing as an old time when you're 16. But he said they were talking about when they were in school. And, and what we used to do at Jewel Christian Academy, if, if a child in the classroom did well, we'd give them these blessings, and they would hang them over their cubby. So when anybody walk in, they could see who's been paying attention, who's been following direction, who's been obeying the teacher, who turned their homework on time, because we give them blessings, and they hang them over their cubby. But if you didn't obey the teacher, didn't turn your work in, or you did something wrong, we believe that you have to have painful consequences to disobedience to learn obedience. So they get a card that indicated that something was bad. So when the principal comes in or parent or the pastor comes in, we can look at the names of the children and see who's been good with the blessings and see who's been bad with all the bad cards. Well, KJ said his little friend, when they were uh, reminiscing, said he used to take all his bad cards and stick them behind his blessings over at the cubby. So when anybody comes in, they didn't see the bad. All they saw were the blessings. Let me help y'all understand something. When you come in and you see people like me serving and you see others leading and teaching and sharing their faith, it's not because we've never done anything bad. It's because we had enough sense to take our bad and put it behind the blood of Jesus and the mercy of God and the grace of God and the blessings of God. God wants to use you even though you're not good enough. God wants to use you even though you don't know enough. That was the excuse of Moses. I didn't read verse 13. In verse 13, but Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me what is his name. Then what shall I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Moses said, God, you can't use me. You don't want me to do this because I don't know enough. He says, God, you're telling me to go talk to Pharaoh, well, Pharaoh has some theologians on his staff. He's got scholars, and they are polytheistic. He, he said, I, I grew up uh, going to the Egyptian schools. They are polytheistic. They believe in more than one small g God and all their different gods and all of that. And, 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 and you want me to go tell them God sent me? And then you want me to go tell Israel about God? I just met you at this burning bush. They've got thousands of years of experience with you. They are indeed the theologians. They believe in a monotheistic God. There is but one God, and you shall have no other God before him. And now you want me, I just met you, to go and tell them about you? God, you don't want to use me because I don't know enough. Now, I know I'm speaking to somebody tonight. You've given your life to Jesus Christ by faith. You believe he died on the cross, got raised it from the dead. You're saved. The Holy Spirit has moved into your life. You even come to church on a Saturday evening. But if the truth be told, you don't know as much about God as you think you ought to. So the pastor talks about sharing faith and getting involved in ministry and, and, and telling people about Jesus. And you're saying, well, I know I'm supposed to, but God's going to let me out of this. 
because I don't know enough. And you know, here's the thing about sharing your faith and, and being used by God despite you don't know enough, and that is you can only witness about what you've seen, heard, or experienced. So somebody's saying, well, I, you know, I, I don't know everything from Genesis to Revelation. I'm not a scholar like Pastor Darren. And you don't have to be. When, people, when you're sharing your faith and what throws us off, people start asking us questions. And it throws us off. So they ask us, well, where did Cain get his wife from? And once they ask that, now you shut up. Because you don't know where she got, he got his wife. Well, if you don't know, just say, I don't know that. You can only witness about what you've seen, heard, or experienced. And the thing about knowing God, the more you know about God, then the more you know you need to know about God. The more you know about God, then the less you know you know about God. I, I gave my faith to Jesus Christ as a teenager. I got serious about the scriptures when I was 15 years old. I just fell in love with the scriptures for whatever reason. But the more I've learned about God all these years teaches me the less I know about God. Why? Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher than ours as the heavens are above the earth. He is so infinite. We're so finite. You're never going to know enough because the more you know, then you're going to understand the less you know. Everybody that's been to college, just wave at me. You've been to college, wave at me. All right, here's the thing. You're going to get it. Every, all y'all went to college. That's great. When you went to college, you took, most of us just took, got one degree. Most, we didn't have double majors and all that. We went to get one degree. And you went to a school, they had 50 programs. You took one out of the 50. Of the one you took, you took all the mandatory courses, but you didn't take all the electives. You just took enough electives to get your degree. So you didn't even take everything in your field. And then there were 49 other fields you never even looked at. So what college taught you is how much you don't know. That's how it is with God. That the more I learn about him and the more I know him, then the less I know. So when I go to witness for him, I'm not talking about what I don't know. I'm talking about what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've experienced. Because God wants to use you even though you don't know enough. And when people ask me where did Cain get his wife from, I tell the truth. I don't know. He probably got his wife from the same places we got our wives from. Met him at school. Met him on the job. Met him in the neighborhood. A friend introduced him. Or he met her on line. I don't know. But I do know I was on my way to hell with no God on my side, no heaven in my view. I was too mean to live, but not ready to die. And Jesus saved me. And you need to be saved by Jesus. Tell them what you've seen, heard, and experienced. God wants to use you. And then Moses said, well, God, Pharaoh's going to ask me which God sent me. All those small G God, those pagan gods, idol gods. He, he, he's going to want to know which God sent me to say, let my people go. And, and, and God, what do you want me to tell them? And God said this, tell them that I am that I am has sent you. Because even though you may not know enough, just tell them I am that I am has sent you. Eya, Asher, Eya in the Hebrew, the Old Testament was written in. I, I am who I will be. I will be who I will be. I will prove to be who I will prove to be. He, he leaves an open-ended glossary. 
that if they want to know who sent you, tell them, I am that I am. It's an open-ended glossary. So whatever they need me to be, I become that for them. So if they're, they're hungry and they need bread, I am that I am. If they're thirsty and need water, I am that I am. If they're sick and need healing, I am that I am. Are y'all getting any of this? Whatever you need him to be at any given time is what he becomes. It's an open-ended glossary. You may not need what somebody else needs, but everything you need, that's who he is for you at that given time. And Jesus picked up on it in the New Testament. And that's when you hear all those I am's about Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. All the Hebrew people knew what that meant. That was Jesus time into who God is because God is so awesome that the more I know about him, then the less I know I know about him. So I need not just instruction and education, but I need a revelation that comes from Jesus. And when I get that revelation from Jesus, the I am of Jesus in the New Testament gives me a revelation of who God is, the great I am in the Old Testament. He is whatever I need him to be at any given time. Okay, I'm confusing y'all, and I don't mean to do that. Let me see if I can clear this thing up. Everybody has an iPhone, an iPad, a tablet, a smartphone. Why do they call them smartphones when we do dumb things? With Anyway, never mind. Just, so we got these iPhones and tablets and all that. And so everybody's always telling you about a new app. You got to get this app. You got that app, this app. So there are thousands of apps, 10,000s, hundreds of thousands of apps, millions of apps. But you don't have a million apps on your tablet. You just have the app that you need most frequently because everybody doesn't need the same thing at the same time. So what you do is you go to that app store and then you download that app to your iPad or your tablet. At the moment you need it, you click on it. And when you click on it, you have access to it. That's what God says he is to us. That whatever you need at any given moment, you need healing, you need deliverance, you need companionship, you need power, you need an anointing, you need victory, you need deliverance, then all you got to do is go to God in prayer and click on the app of healing. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, he downloads it into your life and faith in Jesus Christ makes it accessible to you because God says, I am that I am. God wants to use you even though you don't know enough. God wants to use you even though you don't have enough. Chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says, God, he protests again. God, you don't, you don't want me. You, you want to use somebody else because uh, they won't listen to me. If I go there, they, 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 they're not going to hear what I'm saying. In essence, he's saying, because, God, I don't have enough. And, and, and I don't know why we keep thinking we got to come to God with so much. You don't have enough? That's, that's your excuse for not being committed. That's your excuse for not being involved. That's your excuse for not being a part of the ministry in the church and the kingdom of God. You don't have enough? That's what Moses was saying. Because Moses said, God, you want me to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. How am I going to get an audience with Pharaoh? He is the head of state. He's the king. And I'm out here watching my father's lost sheep. How can I even get into him? Yo, you, everybody's heard that verse of scripture. Your gift makes room for you. Here's where that comes from. Your gift makes room for you. Here's where that comes from. It comes from a time in Old Testament 
in ancient times where kings and queens would go visit other royalty. And when they would go, when a king from one nation would go visit a king in another nation, they didn't go empty-handed. They had to take a gift with them. And so they would take gold and uh, they, they would take silver or bronze and clothes. They would take spices. And, and the amount that you take as a gift to the king is, is a reflection of what you think the authority and the power of that king is you're going to see. And it speaks of your own power and authority. But if you have no gift, you can't get in to see the king. But if you have a gift, your gift makes room for you. And here is Moses saying, I have nothing. And you're sending me on this to head of state, to royalty, and God, I don't have anything to bring. I don't have enough. I see this in my congregation all the time, that some people, when they go to give to support the kingdom of God and the ministry of God, well, one thing I say, Bishop Derek Tripp, that my friend talks about, is that ministry that is extensive is ministry that is expensive. Every time I hear the vision that God has given to Pastor Darren and all the lives you're trying to touch and places you're trying to go and churches that you're planting and, and all the people you're helping around the world, it is so extensive. And ministry that is extensive is ministry that is expensive. And then pastor stands and says, I need you to help me with the vision of God. And somebody says, well, you don't want me because I don't have enough. Because they're looking at the person next to them. And because I don't make that much money and I don't live in that house and I don't drive those cars and I don't have those clothes, then, then, then you, you, you want somebody else. Because God certainly will excuse me because I don't have enough. My, at, at our church, the mentality is that my stuff is so little that if I give it, it will not be appreciated. And if I don't give it, then it won't even be missed. Because when we evaluate ourselves, most of us evaluate ourselves based on what we don't have. I don't have this. I don't have that. Or what we can't do. I can't do this. And rather than evaluate ourselves on what we have and what we can do, because, you know, God is not going to ask you to give something you can't give because you can't give it. And God is not going to ask you to do something you can't do because you can't do it. So when we're talking about, God, you don't want me because I don't have enough, in verse 2 of chapter 4 of Exodus, God says, what is that in your hand? Stop telling me what you don't have. What do you have in your hand? He said, well, I got a staff. I thought you said you had nothing because he wasn't evaluating what he had. He was evaluating what he didn't have. And he said, I got a staff. I said, okay, well, we'll throw it down. And he threw it down and became a snake. In the hand of Moses, it was a staff. When he released it in obedience to God, it became something else. In his hand, it was one thing. In the hand of God, it was something else. In his hand, it was a shepherd's staff. When he released it unto God in obedience, it became something he thought it could never be. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You keep looking at what you have in your hand. But I'm a living witness that when you release it to God, God can do some great things. You can have two pieces of fish and five biscuits in your hand, and it's lunch for one. But when you put it in the hand of Jesus, it becomes a banquet for 5,000. You don't know what God is going to do until you're obedient to him and give him what he's asking for in the commission that he's sending you on. And he released it, and it turned into a snake. Then God says, now, all this is in chapter 4. Now, pick the snake up by the tail. Now, I'm, I'm not an outdoor. I don't camp and all that. I don't even fish. I've never been in 4-H. 
Uh, I'm not, I, I don't wrestle alligators and all. I don't even get in the ocean. I don't do none of that stuff. So I don't know a lot about snakes, but I do know this. Uh, if I got to put one, pick one up, I'm not picking it up by the tail. If I, 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 I don't know anything about that. I'm not Steve Irwin and all that kind of stuff. I'm not Crocodile Hunter. But if I got to pick one up, I'm going to try to get it by the head because that's the dangerous part. If I pick it up by the tail, it leaves the dangerous part still available to get to me. But sometimes when God commissions you to do something, he'll tell you to do something that makes no sense. It makes no sense to you. It makes no sense to anybody else. You're going to your mentor and your friends and family to ask what they think. It's crazy to pick it up like that. But when God tells you to do it, you have to do it because here's what God's trying to show Moses. That Moses, when I commission you to call you to do something, you're going to have to deal with snakes. That's why some of us won't get involved in ministry because we've run into too many snakes. We thought we were going to have a snake-less Christianity. And God says, Moses, even before you start your journey, I want you to know you're going to have to learn how to deal with snakes. And y'all in ministry and in service and in the kingdom, you're going to have to learn to deal with snakes. Adam had to deal with a snake. Eve had to deal with a low-down, dirty snake. Uh, we, we see Moses here and the children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness going to the promised land, they were all bitten by those poisonous snakes. Moses held up a bronze snake because you're going to have to learn how to deal with snakes. In the New Testament, Jesus told the early believers, he said that you're going to have such power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to pick up snakes and they will not hurt you. Paul was on his way to Rome, was shipwrecked, ended up on the island, warming himself by the fire, got bit by a snake, and shook it off. Y'all, if Adam and Eve and Moses and Israel and the early disciples and the early church and Paul have to deal with snakes, what makes you and I think we're going to go through this journey and not have to address snakes? You're going to have to take what God has given to you, use it in his serve, and then Moses takes his hand. God said, take your hand, stick it inside your cloak, and he pull it out. It was leprous. It was like a skin disease. Put it back in. Take it back out. It was clean and healed and restored. Here's what he told him. Take your hand. Stick it in. Pull it out. It looked like he had a terrible, contagious skin disease, leprosy. Put it back in. Take it out. It's restored and clean. Everything is fine with it. Because God wanted him and us to know that when I call you to do something, you're going to have to learn that you can get the victory with a bad hand. And some of us are dealt bad hands in life. And we get so mad at God. I was dealt a bad hand. I was born into a broken family. I was born in poverty. I was born with a disorder. I was born with a disease. And you got a, a dealt a bad hand and now mad at God. But God is saying sometimes in life you got to learn you can still get the victory with a bad hand. Y'all looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, and I know y'all holy. Y'all, I got members that play cards. I know y'all holy. Y'all don't play cards. So uh, they they play cards sometimes, whether it's uh, go fish. The real holy ones play go fish. Uh, we used to play tonk back in the day or pity pat. I'm telling my age now, 21 poker, whatever. But when you play cards, I know y'all don't know this, so listen to me here. When you play cards, sometimes you are dealt a bad hand. And when you're dealt a bad hand, you can't always fold, especially when you got something that counts on the table.
okay, y'all look, we're looking real holy now. When you got something that matters on the table and you dealt a bad hand, you can't always fold. But you can still win with a bad hand. I'm talking about before you got saved, when you was playing before you were Christian. They deal you that bad hand. You can still win with that bad hand. You, you, sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. You got to act like you got something that you don't have. You got to give up some, get something else back. You got to be patient, but you can still win with a bad hand. That's what God is telling Moses, and that's what God is telling us, that God wants to use you. Even when you dealt a bad hand, you can still get the victory. Let me get to the last one, and I'll take my seat. God wants to use you even when you're not articulate enough. Chapter 4, verse 10, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Moses, I want you to go and tell. I want you to go and tell Pharaoh, tell the children of Israel, God, you talking about talking? You don't want me because I, I stammer when I'm talking. I stutter. I'm tongue-tied. God, you might want to choose somebody else for these talking ministries because you, I don't, I don't talk right. And, and somebody, as your pastor is heavy on evangelism, share your faith. Tell somebody about Jesus. Help somebody understand the love of God. Well, he, he, I, I know I can get out of this one because I'm not articulate enough. And God said to Moses, who made your mouth? which means even before he commissioned you to do it, he already knew you couldn't talk. And God says, I'm going to take somebody who cannot talk good or well and have them, y'all catch that later, have them bring deliverance to more than 2 million people because when you make yourself available to be used by God, it's not about your charisma. It's about the content of the word. It's not about how you say it. It's about what you say. The power is in the word of God. And I can testify to that myself. I have things in my head that I try to bring out of my mouth. And, and y'all, it doesn't come out the way I want it to. But God still uses me to talk, to preach, to encourage, to share my faith. And I, I know every Sunday I frustrate our English teachers. Every Sunday. Because my subjects don't always agree with the verb. I frustrate them every Sunday. I leave a participle dangling over here. My syntax is off. I use ain't more than I want to use it. In my head, I know what I want to say. But when it comes out of my mouth, it's like I, I'm tongue-tied. I'm stammering. I don't, I, I don't talk well or good. I frustrate them. But God has used me to win thousands to the kingdom and to share my faith all over this country and different parts of this world because when you make yourself available to God, even when you're not articulate enough, God uses you. I was trying to figure out how to close this message. Um, I'm going to close it like this. And that is somebody, you got all these excuses about how God can't use you. You're not good enough. You don't have enough. You don't know enough. You're not articulate enough. And I'm telling you that when you make yourself available to him, that God can use you. I'll, I'll close with my own testimony. Uh, my, my mother talks about and sometimes teases about the fact that I couldn't talk till I was five years old. And so I'm three, four, 
five and can't talk until I'm, I'm five. And, and now they, they still tease me about those kind of things. But I told them uh, I, I didn't have anything to say yet. So I was waiting to have something to say because I like to think before I talk. And then sometimes these, um, these parents with these young children come up to me. Pastor, my child is two years old and they can't talk. So I talk about child development and children develop at different rates and levels. And oh, the pastor, he can't talk. I said, well, he's two years old. What do you want him to say? Say, well, his cousins are talking, his friends are talking, he can't talk. And I said, well, you know, just trust God. God's going to work it out. Let me pray for him. But then, then I finally have to testify to him. I couldn't talk till I was five. And I told him this. Now people invite me all over the country, different parts of the world, to the Great Heartland Church just to hear me talk. You don't know what God is going to do. When God calls you to something, He's not worrying about your possessions. He's got all possessions. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. When he calls you to do something, he's not worrying about your ability. He's got all ability. All power in heaven and earth is in his hand. When God calls you to do something, it's because God wants to use you. Amen.